want to give attention this morning to prayer. That's what we've been talking about over the last several Sundays. And I want to focus our attention today a little bit on praying for the lost. Now, many of you know Patrick Patton, right? Few of you do. Some of you have, obviously, maybe a couple of you do. And uh, you've been in, you bought boots from them or something else like that. One of the things about Patrick is uh, he was saved uh, some time ago and he was, just became a deacon, as a matter of fact, here at Temple Baptist Church. And I wanted just to stop this morning, Patrick. I, I called you the other day and I asked you, would you just share just a moment of that salvation experience that you have? You were saved and God worked in your life. Tell us just a little bit about it. Just a little. Remember, I got to preach in a moment, all right? Just a little. Okay. So the, the cliff notes of, of my experience with Christ is, is I was raised in, in church. And so I, at an early age, I was exposed to the truth of the gospel. And so I, I had a foundation. I knew that Jesus was the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a horrible death on the cross for my sins. And I, I knew that truth, but I had never really surrendered to that truth. Uh, even though I called myself a Christian, um, I was not a follower of Christ. Uh, he, uh, and he certainly wasn't my Lord. Um, and so uh, because of that, uh, my life was pretty well ruled by, by sin. Uh, and, and at an early age, I developed uh, um, a taste uh, for alcohol. And, uh, and really, that became one of the things that I really struggled with in my life. And really, uh, although I was um, very secretive about that, most people uh, that knew me may not know that that was something I struggled with. That was something that really, um, really controlled my life um, because I had never really surrendered to Jesus' lordship in my life. Uh, Romans 7 is a passage that really describes that. I probably don't have enough time to no, talk you, about no, it. No, you don't. I'm going to um, do that in a minute. <laughs> but in February 2012, uh, Jesus stepped into my life and became uh, real and alive to me and not just a historical figure, not just uh, this guy that you read about or hear about in Sunday school. He became uh, my Savior, and I surrendered to uh, to his lordship in my life, and I gave him my life. I asked him to, uh, to forgive me for knowing the truth about him my whole life and, and not surrendering to that truth. Um, I asked him to, to forgive me of my sins, as, as many as they were, and he did. Uh, he delivered me from um, alcohol instantly. Uh, never once after that have I had a, had a drink or had a, a desire to drink that, that he... Uh, wasn't able to take away. So uh, that's maybe the, the brief little uh, testimony of, of what Jesus has done. That's good. Me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Patrick, do you feel like as you were going about your journey through the years that anybody prayed for you or lifted you up as they thought about you or thought about your spiritual walk? So if you ask me that question, I would, I would any time I would say, well, certainly people were praying for me. Um, but when he asked me the other day, I, I didn't really know the answer. And so I, I called my mom because uh, that's who you think of uh, when you think of someone praying for me. And I asked mom uh, uh, kind of what some of her prayers for me were. And she told me that, that every night that she prayed for, for me and my six brothers um, individually, and every night she would, she would pray that we would, that we would love God, that we would serve him, that we would live for him, that we would uh, be or become good husbands to our wives, that we would be or become good 
fathers to our children. And, and then she told me this, and, and this really stuck with me. She said, every night I finish my prayer, she said, Lord, I've done all that I know to do, and I, I just give them over to you, God. Amen. Amen. Knowing that as you think back through it, did that make a difference in your life, you think? Does it make a difference today? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think when mamas or, or when God's people uh, are compelled or motivated by love and they ask God to do what God already wants to do, that God will respond. Um, and it changed my life. Uh, you can ask my wife. I'm a different uh, man than I was years ago. Uh, changed the life that my kids are going to have. Uh, because of what Christ has done for me. So it, ma it made all the difference in my life. I've said before, it changed the trajectory of my life. Um, in, in all actuality, I was headed straight to hell. I was lost and, and didn't know it uh, for a long time. Uh, and so I was, I was headed south, and, and, and now I'm, I'm, things are looking up. So I didn't give you this question to prepare, okay? okay? This is a pop question, all right? <laughs> right here, spontaneity, right here in front of everybody. Has that led you to think about praying for other people and pray for people who are lost? Yeah, so, um, you, know, uh, you know, prayer is a, it's a powerful thing. Um, and uh, someone told me in, in uh, talking about Sunday school that, you know, you can't teach a class that you haven't prayed for. Um, you know, that our, our love for others uh, must flow from our, our prayer for others. You know, that we can't minister to people that we're not praying for. Um, because it's not us that does the work. It's God that does the work. So when we pray, we're coming to God and asking him to step in and do the work that he wants to do. Amen. Amen. There's so many of you that I could have asked and you could have shared something very similar. I'm thankful for Patrick, his friendship, thankful for his testimony of the Lord. Would you join me? Could, could we just pray for Patrick real quickly? Uh, just that the Lord would just continue to use him. Let's do that. Father, I thank you for this moment to be able to share here with our congregation, Lord, what you have done in our hearts and lives, but specifically what you've done in Patrick's life. Father, I pray that you would be with him. I pray that you would nurture a spirit of, of discipleship, of compassion. Lord, that you would somehow work within him each day to grow him into your image. I pray that you would use him for your kingdom. I'm thankful, Lord, that you called him to be a servant here in our church. I thank you for his friendship personally. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless him in the days to come. Empower him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 10. I thought for a moment Patrick was going to try to use my verses. Romans chapter 10. As we come this morning, specifically, I think, as God challenges us to pray for the lost, to pray for those who are separated from the love and the work of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, basically what you have here is Paul pouring out his heart for his people. Romans is all about the gospel. I mean, it's one of the greatest books that you'll ever find on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way Paul just fleshes it out, the way he just gives it to us, unadulterated. Just a simple definition of the gospel itself that he explains throughout this book. In Romans 9 through 11, though, particularly, he addresses his heart for the nation of Israel. There are those in the church there in Rome. I believe there's a strong Jewish minority that's there, Gentile majority, but a strong 
Jewish minority. That is there that they have all kinds of questions about how God would use the nation of Israel and what he would continue to do. And really, Paul, he gives us, he gives us God's word. He gives us God's work in verses 9 through 11. In the heart of that section, in chapter 10, verse 1, you will hear Paul express his love, his concern, his prayer for his fellow countrymen. Listen to what Paul said. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire in prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I think he gives us a pattern here. As we think about praying for the lost, Paul reminds us that even he, he is the apostle. He is the sent one. He has a heart for the lost. Notice in verse 1, I think you hear the tender words of Paul. I think you hear his love for the lost. And let me say this to you today. As we get ready to talk about praying for the lost, you must first have a heart for the lost. You must love the lost. You must love those people that are messy, that are unlike you. You've got to love those people that are messy in their actions and messy in their attitudes. That's a hard, that's a hard task sometimes, isn't it? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard to love your brother and sister in Christ when they do certain things or when they act certain ways. Anybody here this morning? Yes, it's difficult to love them. But, but at least you can think of them being a brother or sister in Christ. Think of those people who are outside of Christ. They are living maybe messy lives or at the very least they have messy attitudes. I think that's what you'd see here in this passage in particular. It's hard for us just to come and run and embrace those individuals sometimes. Let me say to you that sometimes we as believers, we get so caught up with other believers, we forget the lost. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving your brother and sister in Christ. Nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with having close relationships. You should. When you go to a Sunday school class, when you're out on the street and you see a brother and sister... You ought to know that you have some connection to them, some relationship with them. You ought to know that. You ought to have a love for them. Remember, Jesus had said that would be a mark of the believer is that we would love one another. That's how people would tell that we were his followers. So that is natural that we love our brother and sister in Christ. But notice what Paul is saying here. He is talking about he is talking about the nation of Israel, those individuals who are lost in particular that do not know Christ. He said, I love them. As a matter of fact, in chapter 9, verses 1 and th through 3, he says something rather remarkable. He said, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Notice what he said. He said, I love my brothers and sisters of this nation so much 
And I want them to know Christ and his love so much that I would be willing to give myself up for condemnation if it were at all possible. You know, so often we think of Paul being so rigid. We think of him being so dogmatic and removed from relationships. But in this passage, you hear Paul's heart and his love and his compassion for his people, for those who are lost. I mean, think about it a moment. That you would be willing to say that I would give myself up for eternal condemnation if these other individuals, if they would come to know the saving power of Christ. What an extraordinary statement for any of us to make. But Paul loved the lost. He loved them. Why is that? Well, I think partly, yes, because they were his countrymen. And yes, because he had a kinship to them. He, he had a kinship to them. As a matter of fact, I think Paul could identify with them. Remember where Paul was before the Damascus Road? He was in the same camp of those individuals he's talking about here. They were his friends. He sat by them as he would listen to Gamaliel, the other students that were there. He would sit with them. I'm, I'm sure that they had had conversations, theological conversations, that had moments to share about different things in their lives, and there is a bond that is there. Think about it. Those of you who maybe were in college or maybe graduate school or seminary, you made some great friends, right? Some of you did? Not many of you? I could tell. Yeah, you made some good friends. People sometimes that just happen to sit by you on the first day, and they were there throughout the semester, and you got to talk with, and you got to know a little bit about them. You know, I love seminary days where I could kind of talk about different issues that we were facing. At one point, there were five of us who were carpooling from Picayune, Mississippi, down to New Orleans. It was great because you only had to drive basically three weeks out of the semester. And what we would do on the way home in particular is we would talk about how, how all the professors had gotten it wrong that day. And how we were right theologically about everything. And it built a bond that we had together, even to this day. So think about this. Paul identified with these folks. They were his friends. There were people who had sat by him in the class. There were people that he had gone on these journeys with to try to persecute Christians. He had shared the same purpose. He had shared the same life. So because of that, he loved them. He loved them. He could identify with them. Yes, he could identify with their legalistic approach because that's the approach that he had had. He identified with their lostness. He loved them because he had been with them and he had identified. He loved them because God loved them. He loved them because God loved them. Listen again in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Speaking again about those fellow countrymen. He said, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. Notice he says in verse 4, God loved the Israelites. He had blessed them in so many different ways. He gives us some of these, some of these ways here in verse 4. 
But he says God had chosen them, God had worked in them, God had redeemed them, God had blessed them, God loved them, and God continued to love them. And because God loved them, I love them. Think about how this applies to us a moment. As we think about our love for the lost, you and I certainly should be able to identify with the lost. We ought to be able to. Because all of us in this place, every individual is or has been lost. Every individual. I heard someone say one time, well, I've been saved since I was born. No, you hadn't. I know it may have seemed like that. But when you were born, you were conceived in sin. You were bent toward sin. And the Bible says that all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. So every individual in this place either has been or is lost. So if that's the case, we all share a common lot, right? I can identify with you. You were lost, I was lost, and we have a connection together. When Patrick was sharing a moment ago about his lostness, I could, I could certainly understand because that was some of my same testimony. I remember that I was lost without Christ. Oh, I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could achieve great things. But looking back, I understand how lost I was without Christ. See, you and I, we ought not have a problem loving the lost because all of us have been there. And we know how desperate it is to live without Christ Jesus as our Savior. We know how futile it is. We know how our best efforts could never bring about the salvation we so desperately desire. We know what it is to walk in darkness and not in the light. We know what it is to be eternally separated from a God who loves us. We ought to be able to identify with him. And you know what? We ought to be able to love unbelievers, the lost, because yes, God loved them and God still does. Listen to Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you get that? God didn't love you just when you came and accepted him as your savior. God loved you way before that. God loved you when you were lost. It says that even when you were a sinner, even when you were separated from him, God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son for you and for me because he loved us. Now think of that. If God loves these individuals who are lost, then we certainly should love the lost. I really believe that there's going to be renewal and revival in our hearts and lives. We've got to get back to seeing people the way God sees them. And we've got to develop a love and compassion for those who are just simply lost without a shepherd. And maybe what the best thing we can do is go back and remember how lost we were and how much God loved us. You know, sometimes I think that many of us who have been saved for so long, we forget how lost we really were. Any of you understand? Any of you kind of identify with that with me? I think there are days when I'm walking along and I'm doing my own thing that I forgot exactly how lost I was. But when God reminds me that the only reason 
I have salvation today. The only reason I can stand and preach a message to you, the only reason I can come together and worship him is because of the name of Jesus Christ. It humbles me. And it reminds me of the love that I should have for those who are lost. He loved the lost. He recognized the lost. He recognized that these individuals were lost. Now, when you read this description, verse 2 and verse 3, you really, you see a picture of individuals that you are, would not necessarily identify as lost. If you were to see them walking around you, most of you would probably say, those are good people. Those are great people. Look at how zealous they are, how sincere in their faith. Look at how they're trying to follow the law. Look at the goodness they're trying to demonstrate. For us, it is hard to recognize Maybe that they are lost. But I tell you, based upon what Paul says here, that those who are without Christ, no matter how good they appear to any of the rest of us, they are lost. They are lost without him. He knew that salvation did not come because of your nationality or your background. He knew that salvation did not come because of your sincerity or your self-effort. He knew that. We need to be reminded, right? Just because we come from a certain background does not guarantee us salvation. This week, I've been gone, obviously, and uh, just reminded at the way the rest of the world looks at us. The rest of the world just about entirely in the nations I've visited before, they see all of the United States as a Christian people. And they assume everybody is a Christian. When you see them, when you talk to them, they think you're a Christian if you're from the United States of America. We know how wrong that really is, right? We wish, we might pray, but that is not the truth. We do not gain our salvation because of the nation we belong to, just like the Israelites did not. Just because they could call themselves Israelites did not guarantee their salvation. Just because they had a good background. You know, I was raised in a Christian home. Thanks be to God. I am thankful my mama drugged me to church sometimes. They always talk about the drug problem back then. That was my drug problem. She drugged me to church. I'm thankful she did. I'm thankful she sat me on that pew so I could hear God's word. I'm thankful she took me to Bible studies, to, to vacation Bible school, to art. I'm proud that she took me to those things, that I was raised with a Christian heritage. I'm thankful for my little granny that prayed for me lifted me up and taught me about the word of God. I'm thankful for that. But my friends, I couldn't ride their coattails into heaven. I could not just rely upon their faith to get me into salvation. And let me say to you today that you cannot either. I am thankful that many of you were brought up in Christian homes just as I would, but that does not guarantee your salvation. There needs to be a place along the way where you own that faith for yourself. 
Well, you say, this is not my mama's faith. This is not my grandmama's faith. This is my faith. I believe in Christ. I trust him. We need to recognize that just because of our background, just because where we come from does not guarantee us salvation. And that is what Paul is recognizing, that there are people who are lost. Yes, they belong to the nation of Israel. They've had a good background. They are sincere. See, I hear this sometimes where people say, but they're so sincere in their faith. I am thankful for sincere people. But I want you to know that you can be sincerely wrong about something. I saw a group of people in the last few days that were sincere. But they were sincerely wrong about salvation. And you and I cannot find our salvation in sincerity. We can't find it in self-effort. Well, I've come to church on Sunday. I've read my Bible so many times this week. I've prayed so many times this week. I've given my tithe. I've given what I should. That's all and great and wonderful. That should be evidence of your salvation and not a, and not a way to salvation. For those of us who are here, we're not going to earn our salvation in that way. So again, this week I've been gone. Um, There are a lot of great things that happen. I would love to be able to share with you. Don't have enough time because some of you are already looking at your watch. You are smelling of that chicken. There were so many great things, some pastoral training we were involved in. Some just gospel-centered discussions with individuals about their faith, about their trust, what they were hoping to get out of their relationship with God. But one of the things that stuck out to me, I shared this Friday night just a little bit. I went up to one of the cities there that many of our folks have been to, that we have partnered with and we've prayed for for some time. And I went specifically to what they referred to as the Sun Temple. One of our guides said, you need to come up here and you need to see this. And maybe while we're out here, we can have some gospel-centered conversations. Because a lot of people who are coming to this temple, they're looking for answers. They're trying to seek some type of religious experience. Maybe you can talk with them. If, if you can find somebody that speaks Mississippi English, maybe you can talk with them. Share with them a little bit. So we went up there... <clears throat> We went into the temple and how my heart was broken to see people giving such honor to something that is so powerless. An idol stood there behind the curtain like this idol that was made up of who knows what looked like plastic to me. The people were coming in, they were bowing down. They were kissing the steps, paying homage to this idol. While I was standing there, a little boy that came in with his dad, he probably wasn't more than four years old, bowed down to that idol. And how my heart was broken to think that people could give their allegiance to something that is so puny, something that is so powerless, something that never would be able to fulfill their eternal purpose. 
I walked out of there. I went around. I did find some people. We talked a little bit about who Jesus was. And there were so many responses that went something like this. Well, you know, Jesus is just another way. We believe Jesus. Jesus is a God. He's a God like our God. We believe in all gods. It was so difficult to talk about the good news with them. All of a sudden, I heard this noise begin in the temple again. The guy I was with looked at me and he said, I think you ought to go back in there. I said, okay. When I went back in, the room was basically full, the courtyard. The bells were ringing. They were ringing the bells. They were beating the drums. The priest was in the front waving his homage to this idol. I felt like I was back on Mount Carmel for a moment with a bailiff's priest who were trying to get the favor of their God to come down. How broken I was of the lostness I saw. But then while I was standing there, God seemed to speak. And he said, you know what, Reggie? These folks are lost. But when you go back, there are people that are just as lost. There are people that sit on your pews every Sunday. There are people that think that their goodness will get them to heaven. There are those who think because their mama believed that they will somehow have salvation. Reggie, don't you know those people are just as lost as those who are here in this temple? And God did a work in my heart and spoke to me because I recognize that Christ is the only way. And Paul here recognized that no matter how good these legalistic individuals were, they were falling short of the good news, the Christ that had saved them. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It is Christ and in Christ alone. And thus we should pray for the lost. Paul said his heart's desire, his prayer was for these individuals who were lost. We need to pray for the lost. He prayed for them. We ought to pray for those that are lost around us. Why do we pray? Remember a few Sundays ago, I talked about prayer specifically of how it can change the story, how it can make a difference. I don't know exactly how it always happens. I mean, I am going to tell you, I serve a great, transcendent, wonderful God. He's more powerful than anybody or anything here on this earth. He's more powerful than any other entity. I believe that. And I believe that he has chosen the vehicle of prayer to be responsive to his people, to carry out his will. I certainly believe as I look at the New, Old Testament and New Testaments, somehow he honors that as we pray. He demonstrates his power and his glory as we intercede for other people. Moses, perhaps, was a great example of an interceder. There are all kinds of them throughout the Scripture, but maybe Moses... Is one of the most notable. Numbers chapter 14, the people of Israel had refused to go into the promised land. They had not heard or not really heeded the word of God. And thus, they had rebelled against him at Kadesh Barnea. And what God said was, you know what? I'm just going to start over. I've had it with these miserable people, stubborn people. Moses, I'm going to work through you and I'm going to start over with your family. Now that would have probably impressed a lot of us. 
we would have been like, hey, with a new start, it's going to be the Bridges family from here out. They're going to know us. But Moses didn't respond that way. Moses said a lot of things, but let me focus on a couple. He said, and now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Can you hear that? Moses just cried out to God and he said, God, would you just show some forgiveness? God, would you show your mercy? You are long-suffering. You are great. Would you work? And God does relent. Certainly the people have to face his discipline that comes. But he relents from destroying them. He responds to the heart and the prayer of Moses. I believe God still responds to the prayers of his people who intercede on the behalf of others. And what we need to be praying is God would bring forgiveness and mercy. That we would pray for a lost people. Most of you know that I believe in praying for those who are physically sick. I, I believe in that. We're going to talk about it in just a few weeks about praying for the broken. So I want you to understand that I'm all in favor of doing that before I make this statement. Dr. Adrian Rogers, the late great pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, he used to say that sometimes our congregations spend more time keeping people out of heaven than getting people into heaven. I never forget him saying that. And again, I'm all for praying for the healing of individuals. But folks, how about those who are spiritually sick? How about those who are eternally damned before our God? How we should pray for them. Pray, yes, for unreached people groups like the Gujar people of South Asia. By the way, some of you who are on that South Asia team, God is doing a great work there already. And I was told this week they may be able to take them off the unreached people group. Still a lot of work to be done. Don't get me wrong. But praise be to God that he's listening to the prayers of his people. But also those around us. Pastor Fred Luter, he challenged me one time, and I think he borrowed it from somewhere else. You know us preachers borrow a lot from other people. But he said we ought to pray for our friends. F-R-A-N-S. Our friends. He said we ought to pray for our friends our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors that they would know Christ Jesus as their Lord. We ought to call them by name. Ask God to save them. My heart has been personally convicted in the last few months that I do not see as many people coming to Christ as we should. I believe it's because we're not praying as we should. There was a time back in the day when many of our churches unashamedly would 
gather at the altar and pray for lost people. There was a day when we would join together and say, let's pray for this son of mine. Let's pray for this daughter. Let's pray for my friend, our neighbors. And I tell you, we will not see the power of God descend again until the people of God get down and pray once again like that for those who are lost. I encourage you today to take your Bible in the very front of it. Maybe some of you are a little more sophisticated than I am. You got an iPad. That's what works okay as well. Whether you got an iPad or Bible, I, I wish you would just take for a moment today and write one person's name there. Some of you may have more than that. That's great, but I'm just challenging today. One person that you know that's lost, that's a friend, that's a relative, that's an associate, that's a neighbor, one person. Write it down and say, I'm praying for this person. And I'm going to stick on this. I'm going to pray for this until we see salvation occur in this person's life. As we pray for one another. I had a little chorus some years ago that spoke to me. And I wanted to conclude with this today. I thought I was going to be able to sing it. You've heard my voice. Not going to be able to sing it today. But I love this song. I've been singing it the last three or four days. Leslie was singing it this morning because she had heard me sing it the other day. It was a chorus that got a hold of me back in, I don't know, Blue Springs, Mississippi, some 20 years ago. It goes something like this. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. And what can be done with an old heart like mine? Soften it up. Cleanse me, I cry. Let my heart break. Let tears once again flow down my face for the souls of lost men. Today in this place, today in this place, around this altar, there in that pew where we are, would we commit to praying for those who are spiritually sick, those who are lost, those who are walking in darkness. Let's pray together. Father, we pause before you right now. And God, I know there's a lot of stuff going on today. There are a lot of things happening here on this campus. There are studies in just a moment. Lord, I'm mindful of all those things. But I, God, I pray that we would take enough time just right now to cry out to you. There's enough, certainly enough lost people for us to pray for today. There's enough lost people in our families. There's enough lost people in our neighborhoods. There are friends in our classrooms. God, I pray that you would just 
allow love to descend upon this place, love for the lost, and that we'd recognize that just because people are good does not mean that they have salvation through Christ. And God, I pray we'd just pour our hearts out to you this morning. Father, I pray that you would break our hard hearts and that, Lord, once again, we would be sensitive to your Spirit's movement in our hearts and lives. And yes, we would cry out to you. We would call out to you for our sons and our daughters, our parents, our friends, our classmates. We'd cry out for the people of the nations. Lord, we pray today that you would give us these souls. Give us these souls and let them know the true life and work of your son. We pray it in the most powerful, in the most dynamic, in the most loving name that we could ever know, the name of Jesus Christ. We pray it. Amen. Would you stand today? Would you come as God calls?